Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Hey guys, learn from the experts. This is free land education. Hard to get out there. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant, broker owner of Land Pro Real Estate, along with my co-host today, Abby Hazel. Hey, Abby. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. And this is Abby's first show, so she's going to be fine. Our new office is at 207 East Main Street, downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. We serve all your real estate needs in Western Piedmont, North Carolina, and Southern Virginia. Just give us a shout. Hey, we'll help you out. All shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members. Our website is www.rliland.com. Now listen to me. If you're interested in selling land or farms or buying land or farms, go to this website, find one of our members. We have 20,000 members throughout the United States and about 600 accredited land consultants like myself. We know how to play the game. We know how to make you more money or save you money. So check out that website, www.rliland.com. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsors today, landhub.com, buying or selling land. Landhub is the place to be. And acrevalue.com, if you want to know who owns the field down the road and what it sold for last year, the best place to research land, and it's all free, try acrevalue.com. Our guest today is Matt Libble. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. And welcome. Hey, listen, it's great to be here and uh, certainly on this great event of Abby's first radio Absolutely. show. That's that's like the highest honor possible. She is going to be a star. I'm telling you. And we're actually in the studio because most of them are around the country, around the world, and people call in. So it's a pleasure to have you here in the studio. <laughs> Matt is the president, marketing president of Bankers Exchange. We're going to talk about Bankers Exchange. And by the way, while you're listening, if you'll go to their website, www.bankers, B-A-N-K-E-R-S, put in 1031.com. Uh, you can follow along unless you're driving. Please don't. So uh, we'll mention that site to you a couple times. Matt has a BA administration from UNC Pembroke and an MBA. Congratulations. You got that this calendar year, right? That's right. I did. Good for you. That was a lot of work, wasn't it? It was. That's a lot of yeah, work. Yeah, more than I want to remember. And then you went to Duke University. What's that certificate of nonprofit management? What's that about? So that's a program that Duke University offers uh, folks who are in the nonprofit industry. Uh, I was with the Salvation Army for several years right. and was able to go to Duke and, and get this certificate. And it just gives a well-rounded education for those who and are fundraising, credibility, yeah. those who are directing nonprofits yeah. across the United States. Excellent. Mm -hmm. and, and was that a volunteer position or was that a... That was uh, that not was not a Duke, volunteer, not the Duke. Now that was a uh, I was over um, development okay. and uh, planned giving in North Carolina uh, for the Salvation Army for seven years. State. Yeah, good for you. What a great job! What a great experience! Too. It was absolutely met, met a lot of neat, neat people. Yes, as I mentioned, man is the marketing president for Bankers Exchange out of Greenville, North South Carolina, and uh, qualified intermediary providing a full service spectrum and. Our topic today is going to be the 1031 Lycon Exchange field. Matt focuses on growing lasting relationships with banks, commercial brokers, CPAs, attorneys, and owners of investment and business property. How long have you been doing that? It's been over two decades now. Really? Yeah. What got you into yeah. it? So years ago, I had the opportunity to work for uh, what probably many of your listeners may not know, but Wachovia Bank mm -hmm. in Winston-Salem, North Carolina came in there and they had started a qualified intermediary department, a program in the bank, had the opportunity to begin working in that department and that began the learning process okay. for me, handling yeah. the day-to-day -day in and outs, uh, working with the taxpayers and their advisors on, on 1031s. And so that's what wow. kick-started it uh, again over, I don't know, it sounds like it's longer when you say two decades yeah, as opposed to 20 years. I mean, it's two decades. Could it be like life, 19 yeah. and a half or it 21 could, and a quarter? It could be, yeah, yeah, a little over 20. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, that was good grounding for you, right? How was, long did you do that? I uh, was with the bank for several years there. I uh, spent time with um, another qualified intermediary out of Florida, though we still lived here in North Carolina, and then had the opportunity to work for a banker exchange. And your beautiful wife, Abigail, 
Mm -hmm. You guys have partnered with Cultural Homestay International and have served as host guests for international exchange students from Turkey, Belgium, Germany, Italy, and China. Now, I know you know all those languages, right? Yeah, know them perfectly. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You had good good students. Yeah, right? I know I know uh, several keywords. Yeah. Usually, no. Sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> no or yes. Those are the ones I mainly know. Being proud and brave, uh, he earned his bachelor's degree in business administration, and uh, the course the MBA, and uh, at Pembroke. <clears throat> so our topic today, Abby, is going to be the IRS ten thirty one exchange, and if I may. And you're the expert, but this is just some research that I mm -hmm. did, if it's okay. The tax-deferred like-kind exchange was authorized as part of the Revenue Act of 1921 when the United States Congress created Section 202C of the Internal Revenue Code. Now, you guys can go, if you're on your websites or labs, you can go pull up this, this code here and follow along. But allowing investors to exchange securities for non-LICON property unless the property acquired had already realized reasonable market value. What does that mean? Well, listen, this, this 1031 LICON exchange, again, as you noted, last or this year we're celebrating 100 years. Of is this having, the 100th This year? is the 100th year, uh, which is absolutely amazing. And this, this uh, ability to exchange has taken various forms throughout the years. Right. Uh, this originated back when farmers were trying to uh, basically trade land back and forth because they were trying to square out borders or sure. they were trying to, you know, and they were really having a non-monetary exchange of property back and forth. So uh, fortunately, we've had uh, many different rulings, changes in the code uh, to what we have uh, today. So it's grown with us and, uh, again, been with us for 100 years. Wow. So sure. that's what I'm going to say, Lou, and I know we're yeah. going to talk about it later. Okay. But 1031 like kind exchanges are not a loophole. This is not something oh, that really? clients get away with. That's right. <coughs> Whoever came up with that idea? I, who knows? I'd like to. I'd like to meet them. But yeah. this is something that the IRS has absolutely allowed uh, taxpayers to take advantage of. It's not something anybody's getting away with. So that's not one. A scheme, that's huh? one thing I really like to start out with. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, if the IRS is their code, you know. That's exactly right. Got to follow the leader. So, like you said, nearly 100 years of like kind exchange have been removed and reintroduced and reimagined. So that's just the evolution as, as the markets have changed. Is that what that's about? Yeah, it's as markets have changed, as taxpayers were, uh, you know, questioning what could, could not be done. Mm -hmm. When the IRS would come in and, and look at a transaction and say, oh, you know, we don't think this is allowed, it would go to tax court, we would have... Uh, private letter rulings on on specific cases, right. and out of that, the industry began to grow, and uh, you know they began to make rulings on what could or could not happen. When taxpayers began to question, can I do this or can I not do this? Right. Mm -hmm. And it says like kind exchange, so you'll get into the meat of this, but just for Abby's benefit, only thing you're doing is you're taking a property that's probably depreciated. Okay, or you've aged out and you mm -hmm. want to do something different and you want to sell that property and because you probably have a low basis in it, whatever the value was when you bought it 20 years ago mm -hmm. and you're now selling it and it's gone up four or five times, you're going, to be paying, you're going to be paying taxes. It's called capital gains. Yes. And that's a minimum of 15% and then that's escalated based on your income. Okay. Right. So what happens is you're going to be paying that taxes if someone that's close to you is going to be paying those taxes at your demise, you're just postponing it. Yeah. But there's billions and trillions of dollars, and I think that's probably why some of these, because here we go again, the administration, you know, and, of course, the Realtors Land Institute, this is one of our hot buttons, mm -hmm. is lobbying. Uh, we're the second largest lobbying group in the country. Is lobbying to keep these laws intact, okay? Yes. So right now the current administration has made a statement, okay, that they may be looking at this again. Of course, it's like, here we go. Yeah. They want it's, more lobby money. That's exactly right. And, you know, 1031s have been on the chopping block for years and years and years and years. So, like you said, Lou, this is nothing new. Right. Um, in 2018, we had a change Trimmed in the 1031 bit, right? tax code. Right, yeah. So, we, we were able to exchange both real property and personal property until 2018. Right. And uh, there was an act that was passed in the Trump administration that took personal property out of 1031. So now it's only real property. 
Last year, when the uh, Biden administration introduced uh, a bill that was to trim down the benefit that a taxpayer could experience in 1031s, which again, as you mentioned, was met with a heavy, heavy lobbying effort from our trade organization, sure. the Federation of Exchange Accommodators. And the uh, and, realtors. And the realtors. I'm talking about these were industries all across the U.S. that, um, as they say, politics makes strange bedfellows. So many organizations come together to lobby Washington and help them understand just what a dramatic effect it would have on our economy if 1031s were in any way uh, changed right. or the limit was lowered in what a taxpayer could experience from, from uh, tax like Here's the facts, Jack. Absolutely, yeah. And the great thing is, and many of the listeners out there, I imagine, could relate to this, um, many of our people up on the Hill in Washington, they very well understand 1031s because they've taken advantage of it. Their families sure have taken have. advantage of it. The companies that they work with have taken advantage of that. Uh, so there's, there's people on both sides of the aisle that understand the advantage of the 1031 and want to keep it in place. And fortunately, as the bill went to the House and the House Ways and Means Committee took up recommendations on what they wanted to change uh, from a tax perspective, 1031s were not included, and that was a wonderful thing. And we're hoping, Lou and Abby, in 23, when the administration offers this again, right. that the very same thing will happen. Don't know. Don't know. That's why we need to lobby and make sure that we're talking to our representatives about how important 1031 like kind of exchanges are to us and to the industry and to America. So all you realtors out there, you know about RPAC, okay? That's our fundraising for lobbying efforts, not only at the federal, state, but also the local level. So, you know, when that comes up and you're asked to contribute to uh, RPAC, please do so because this affects all of us. Yes, it does. And this I'd could also, put a big dent in our real estate market it, if this happened. It certainly could. I mean, I mean huge by dent. all means, um, it, it can. And, you know, a 1031 like kind of exchange is a driver for taxpayers. It's a driver for investment. It's a driver to buy properties and upfit those properties. It keeps stuff moving. It yes, keeps it turning does. over. It keeps, That's exactly it. Keeps we don't want over. things to be stale. Or static. And a 1031 is a, is a paddle that stirs the water. Yeah, so yes. if you take the paddle out, what happens? Yeah, you, you really don't go anywhere, do right. you? Or you're taken by the current in places you don't want to go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think, Abby? What do you think? You don't think? I don't think. Uh-oh. We got it. I'm catching up. That's, That's what I'm doing. Huh? I said I'm catching up. That's what I'm doing. Catching up what? What a 1031 exchange is. Oh. That's perfect. So you really want to know? Yeah, I really want to you know. You think it might help your business? Maybe a little really? bit. Really? Yeah. Really? Does it help realtors? I would say that it is a tremendous tool for realtors. Uh, you know, the, just having a basic knowledge. Now, you can go out and gain as much knowledge as you want to on 1031s, but being able to talk with a prospective client, somebody you're talking to about land who owns investment property, and they happen to mention a 1031 to you, you want to know what that is so that you can have that conversation with them. Now, we understand you're not going to be the tax advisor when they're looking at a 1031, and I'm not going to be the tax advisor. They have those advisors already, but you want to know it well enough to have a good conversation so that they have a comfort level with your knowledge. Yeah, or yeah. You, you may mention it. You may bring it up because mm -hmm. you're pulling the tax card, part of your due diligence, Abby, and you're seeing that this person acquired this property 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at what the tax, uh, what the, what it's sold for because it'll have that sales record on there. Right. And even what the tax value is now, which is not market value, don't mm -hmm. be confused, okay? And then you're going to say, hey, you may want to do a 1031. Yeah. You don't, want, you don't want the tax bill to be an obstacle to your potential uh, client. You know, if, they're, if you're approaching them and you're looking at them and saying, listen, I, I see you have this land. Have you thought about selling it? And they say, well, you know, good gracious, my basis in this land is 20000 and I'm going to sell it for 200000 I just really don't want to pay that tax bill. So this is a great way to, you know, offer them an opportunity to potentially defer that tax into another investment. That's a big help to you. So, Abby, you see... And then what happens is they do the 1031. Well, they ask you to go find a replacement property. Absolutely. So not only get the commission on the one that they own, but you get a commission on the one they buy. That's correct. So that happens a lot in our industry. It's a great benefit for the realtors to pick up a little extra. Hey, this is Let's Talk Land. Our guest today is Matt Limble with Bankers Exchange. 
We'd like to thank our sponsors, LandHub.com. Where are you at, Land? <laughs> so, Matt, why would someone want to do a 1031 lifetime exchange? Well, Lou, if you have somebody who's selling a piece of property that they've held um, for a period of time and they're going to have a significant tax hit, basis is low, selling prop selling price is high, or they've owned a piece of property for years and they have depreciated that property either fully or just have a, a really good or several years of depreciation. When they sell that piece of property, they're going to have capital gains tax. They're going to have state tax. They're going to have uh, investment income tax. Uh, they're going to have uh, depreciation recapture on what the IRS has allowed the taxpayer to take over the years. So if the seller has interest in deferring paying that tax for a period of time, then that is when they should look into the 1031 like kind exchange. Let me ask a question right mm -hmm. there. So yes, I'm going to defer that tax, but that's going to get me more capital yeah, to exactly. invest in the next property? You're exactly right, Lou. If I'm not paying that tax out, uh, that means that additional equity in the deal right. is available to go to that next property. So that means a couple of things. That means that I can either buy up a larger property than what I sold, uh, or you know I get into that property and I have to take on less debt because I've got more cash in that property. Uh, so those are all great things. Um, this is great for scaling down or scaling up or scaling or up or just going to something you've never done before. That's right. You know, if you're in an area that you want to move out of that area into a, a new uh, region, if you want to get out of an asset class into a new asset class, um, or like you said, scaling down, right. you know, I'm in a large commercial property and I want to go down to My something smaller. Changed, That's yeah. exactly right. All those things are reasonable um, causes to, to look at a 1031. Uh, it just gives a great amount of flexibility for an investor if they want to continue being an investor. And again, this is for investment property only. That's so right. We, we, we'll get on, let's get save that a little bit. Okay. There's some little nuanced caveats to that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Abby, you want to ask in the next question? I think as an agent, my biggest thing is if somebody comes to me and wants to do a 1031 exchange, what red flags would I look for to deter them from that? If there was something that would make them not eligible or or want to take another avenue. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, once you begin talking with the person about 1031s, um, if they've only held that property for a very short period of time, you know, let's uh, let's look at those who are flipping properties they go in, they buy the property, they fix it up, they're flipping it in a couple of months. Uh, those typically do not qualify for a 1031. If they're selling a piece of property or, or a home, let's say, and they've lived in it, you know, that's been a vacation home and they've made good use of that property themselves, personal use, uh, that's probably not going to qualify. So I would just um, refer them to a qualified intermediary like myself, and the three of us would get on the phone together. And I think that's where... Um, the power of knowing a good qualified intermediary really comes into play for somebody who is selling real estate and those who are representing them is to be able to get on the phone together, talk through the situation, go through the red flags, work through those, and see whether or not a 1031 might be a good option for that client. So for you realtors out there, okay, I always talk about building a team. None of us do real estate by ourselves. There's no way uh, if you're selling Houses, you know, you can't do a home inspection. Uh, so you build a team in the land business. You've got your soil scientist, you've got your surveyor, you've got your timber person, uh, and all these assets. But you need a 1031. So yeah. Matt, you're a perfect partner, right? Listen, I, I, I is would. That, is that a lot of your clients are realtors? They really are, you know, because they want that person. Um, they can call. They know that I'm going to answer the phone. They right. know that. In general, I'm going to know the answer to the question that the, their client is asking, and that's what they want. They want, when they make that referral, it's like anybody that you would refer your client to for whatever service. You want to know that they're available, that they understand the industry, and that they can give a question or give an answer immediately, right. uh, or they can say, you know, hey, listen, I don't know the answer to that, but... I'm going to find it, and I'll give you a call or back ASAP. Or you don't ASAP. really qualify for this. Yeah, exactly. You know, those are all things that we can go through, and it takes the pressure off of, 
you know, the agent to make sure that uh, I don't have to be an expert in this. I just need to understand it and help my client, and then I need to direct them to the expert. Right. So go to that website if you're not driving, bankers1031.com, and you'll find Matt's information on there. We'll also publish it on the uh, land for, uh, land, uh, let's talk land.net website, which will have your email, Great. not your phone number. I don't put phone numbers on there. Okay. okay. <laughs> but they can get in touch with you. Yes. Okay. But uh, what states do you cover? We cover all 50 states, with the exception of, of Utah. There are some states where uh, the state itself has put in uh, intense regulations on who can serve as a qualified intermediary. Uh, so California is one that is notably um, difficult to deal with, with a franchise tax board. and right. uh, They really uh, do well in auditing and looking at 1031s, uh, those who are selling property in their state. Uh, Utah is one right now that uh, we are, uh, I'm sorry, Nevada is one that we're not working in right now if they're selling a piece of property, uh, but we can certainly help them if they're buying property in Utah, uh, Nevada as part of their 1031. So it's important to ask that question of the qualified intermediary. Are there states that you're not uh, serving as QI in? Um, so it's good to know. Okay. So Abby. You've got a client. We're talking about it in a, in a sales meeting, right? <clears throat> they own a, a business property, and you think that they may qualify for 1031. We pulled their tax card. We see that they bought it in 1985, all right, for this amount of money, and you see the tax value, and you've already run a CMA, and you can see what the potential market value is, okay? And you're saying, this probably qualifies for 1031. You haven't even brought it up with your client yet, okay? You're just doing the, the research. So at that point, you may want to call Matt, right, and say, this is what I'm working on. What is your opinion before I breach this with the client, right? Does this happen a lot, too? Are yeah. just calling it? Absolutely. Say, I mean, know, I get into the conversation. That way that, you don't get embarrassed. Well, right. <laughs> well, I, you know, if, I can, if I can help with that, that'd be great. I mean, I get into the, into the conversations at, at many different points, and I always say, um, you know, what's the greatest killer of 1031 like kind of exchanges? And, and people will say all kinds of things. Well, if you close without a QI, if you have the money, and, and those are all what's a true. QI? Let's break that so up. Qualified intermediary. I always, I always shorten it up. No, that's fine, you know. but what's their role? So the qualified intermediary is that third party that the IRS requires to be a part of the 1031. Now, the QI, or qualified intermediary, is the one that actually holds the money. Uh, they're going to prepare the exchange agreement to make sure that um, everything's in place for the exchange. They're going to work with the closing agent, whoever that may be, to make sure that all the closing statement is correct. Everything's in process, Due ready to go. That's exactly right. Blah, blah, blah. And when they sell that piece of property and money goes to the escrow account, that money's going to go from the closing agent's escrow account to an account that that qualified intermediary has established for that exchange specifically. So, Abby, you can't take possession of that money. That's right. I mean, if you're if you're an owner and you're selling, I'm not meaning from the agent's perspective, but if you're doing a 1031, mm -hmm. you cannot touch that money. It That's has right. to go to a third party. Yeah, has to go to that qualified intermediary, and that qualified intermediary is going to hold that money for the taxpayer until they're ready to buy and close on that replacement property. And again, they'll work with the closing agent to make sure everything is in place, closing statements are correct. And they're going to wire that money to the closing agent's escrow account so it's there for closing for our client. So For up to three properties. Well, yeah, so there's some identification rules, right? Uh, the IRS has rules, and this is one of those. So um, if you're selling a piece of property, uh, you have to identify uh, the property that you would like to buy with this money that the qualified intermediary is How holding. How do you do that? So typically, the qualified intermediary is going to prepare a form, and that form is going to go to the taxpayer, and they'll use that form to identify the property or properties that they have interest in buying as a replacement property. How do they identify the property? So they need to identify the property. Do they call Abby? It's, they can call Abby. They can get a tax map plat number. They can get a description that goes on to the sales contract. But it needs to be an unambiguous description of that property. What I like to say is, 
give me enough of a description so that if I get in the car, I can drive to it and I can see it. I got you. Yeah. Does it have to be a listed property? It does not have to be a listed property. That's the great thing. So when they are identifying property, it does not have to be a property that is under contract. Uh, they don't even have to know it's for sale. Now, uh, now should you? Yeah. Sure. But you don't have to is what I'm saying. Um, so it could be any property. Um, it does help to have a contract on it so you know that you can close within a time frame. Right. Um, but, yeah, you have 45 days, and those are straight calendar days. So Saturdays, Sundays, holidays, <coughs> uh, rainy days, and Mondays, you know, all, all those uh, days count in that 45 days. By the 45th day, midnight, they have to have the identification in writing to the qualified intermediary. Now, once midnight of the 45th day hits, whatever they have identified is basically set in stone, and they'll have to close on one or more of those properties they identified to get any benefit from the 1031. Okay, so yes. what you're saying is if somebody calls me about a 1031 exchange, I need to go and do as much research on that property to know every detail of every piece so that I can pretty much lay it out to you with no questions. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, however it is that you would uh, come up with a description of that property for the sales contract, okay, whether that's 123 Main right. Street, Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, or whether it's plus or minus five acres located on so-and-so tract of property on so-and-so road in so-and-so county, township, however it may be, you want to be as specific as possible. Uh, so, and that's another good reason to have the qualified intermediary involved. They can kind of help you, not with the description itself, but they can really look at it and help uh, kind of guide you on how that identification needs to look. Uh, again, they're not going to describe it for you, but it's always good to talk with them and submit that identification and, and talk with them about what you're identifying and the information that you've submitted for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first panic. I think if a real estate agent who has not done anything with 1031 gets a phone call like that, you almost immediately scramble because you don't know what you're looking for or what you need, but yeah. you need to give that due diligence and that duty to your client. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I need to gather is every piece of information I can and then call you, obviously, Absolutely. and give you all of that. Yeah. Yeah. We can certainly talk through that. Absolutely. Okay. Cool. Abby, you learned anything? A lot. Yeah? Yeah. This is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Well, a lot of people don't know about this, okay? And uh, I got the expert here today. All right. Do you have to invest all of your money in a 1031 exchange? I'm getting ready to, uh, Abby's got my uh, building up for sale, mm -hmm. and it's a million two. Okay? okay. And I own it outright. Yeah. I've been paying it down for years, okay? Do I have to invest that whole million in two? So the rule for a full tax deferral is yes. Basically, at the end of the day, the IRS wants to see you in this. I'm going to make you, I'm gonna make wife, you use it all. My wife wants 200000 out of that. Now, she could. She could get 200000 no out of that, certainly. So for a full well, tax dude. deferral, what the IRS wants to see is that you're in the same position with the property you sold as you are with the property that you buy. So if you're selling for 1.2, at the end of the day, they want to see you in a property for 1.2 million if you want a full tax deferral. Now, the good thing about the 1031 is it's not all or nothing. So if you did want to walk away with some cash, that is perfectly fine, but just know that whatever you walk away with is potentially taxable, okay? And that's a good time to talk with your CPA or accountant about how much money I, I want to walk away with, close, with at closing and what that tax bite is going to be. That's always important to know. Now, one of the questions I get a lot about is debt. How does debt play in? So let's say this $1.2 million property, Lou, and you have a $600,000 debt on the property, mortgage on the property. So how does that work? Well, the IRS still wants to see you have a $1.2 million property. So you use the 600,000 in equity from the deal to the new property. And you need to go out and either acquire a new debt for the property for another 600000 or uh, inject your own cash into the deal to offset any debt relief. So, again, debt is a, is a issue in the 1031. You want to make sure that you are using all of your cash. Make sure that you are 
you're aware of any debt relief if you're not getting as much debt on the new property. Uh, but again, $1.2 million sale, $1.2 million buy, cash and debt both need to be matched if possible. Interesting. So our guest today is Matt Lindell, Marketing President of Bankers Exchange. This is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Selling land or buying land, LandHub is the place to be in acre value. If you want to know who owns the land down the, down the road, just go to acrevalue.com. Okay, Matt, so we've talked a lot about QIs. What is going to either qualify you or disqualify you from being a QI? I'm glad you asked me that great question. So this is something that I do talk a lot about with people because if they're considering a 1031, they'll say, well, Matt, can't my attorney serve as the qualified intermediary or my realtor or my CPA? And um, they can't. So the rule from the IRS is that if you have been an agent of the taxpayer in the last two years, you cannot serve as the qualified intermediary. So that kind of knocks out uh, their advisors. But that's why they have us. That's why we're there to serve as that qualified intermediary, being that true third party that they can come to to handle the transaction. Okay. And then I want to back up because we talked a little bit about it. But what is going to qualify a property? So if I have a property that has renters in it, mm -hmm. is that going to qualify on 1031? It's very possible. So let's go down to the basic rules. So what the IRS tells us is that for a property to qualify for a 1031, it must be held for investment or business use. Okay, so let's look at the rental home. So if you are treating that rental home as an investment property, uh, your CPA or accountant is, you know, you're, you're counting that as you're, dis, you're uh, depreciating the property, you're doing everything you would do with an income producing property, uh, and you have held it for a time, a period of time that shows that you've held it for investment reasons, then that would qualify. So yes, for your rental home uh, example, absolutely. We work with single family rentals, we work with multi-unit rentals, um, and so all of those qualify, again, if they've held it for investment, investment or business use, and they've held it for a reasonable amount of time to show that they have held it for investment purposes. Okay, yeah. so then in the same sense, where I have a vacation rental listed and I have a vacation rental buyer, he could use one of his vacation rentals on a 1031 exchange to buy the next vacation rental. It's possible. Don't you like how I never come out with the definitive answer? It's the salesperson I, as trick. the salesperson in me. So I will say it, it could be possible. With vacation homes, uh, what we're concerned about, what the IRS is concerned about, and what your client should be concerned about is how much have they made use of that property personally. So the IRS has put limits on how much an owner can use that property and still count it as an investment property, which is, I think it's a minimum of, or maximum of 14 days of personal use or 10% of the time in which that property is rented out. Um, they can certainly go down to that property if they are maintaining it. So if they're going down to paint a wall or do something, uh, they can make use of that property and it, does, it doesn't count against that 14 day or 10 percent rule as long as they can show this is what I went down for this is what I did these are my receipts uh, which their accountant or CPA is going to want to see anyway uh, so are, it's possible. Are they responsible in a way to their accountant? I mean yeah I mean I would they're want. They're tied into the. Yeah the, I would want to you know I'd want a, an accountant or a CPA I mean, who was able to tell yeah, me. You want them and he says yeah I did this or no I didn't do it but Joe Smith did it and I know Joe, and, you know, you need to call him. Yeah, yeah, yeah you want a CPA. You know, you know at, the end of the, at the end of the tax like filing year, that CPA or accountant is going to be the one that's signing off on your tax return. Right. And so you want them to agree with you on what you're doing on this 1031. I mean, that's, the, that's it. You want that advisor in your corner. So, yes, they should know whether that property is being treated as an investment property. Uh, but, you know, those are the conversations that I will have with the client's advisors just to talk over those issues because they are very important. What they don't want is a year or two down the road, the IRS come back and audit them and find out that they had a personal use issue. So those are the things we want to put out on the table and be able to tell them, honestly, a 1031 may be the right thing for you. 
because of this it might be possible it might be possible that's right. (laughs) right or you know it might not be possible for these reasons but that's up to the taxpayer and their advisor to really confer over and decide whether or not okay so then in the same sense a piece of farming land is possible if it's being used or for timber land or, or timberland or anything. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's possible to go yeah. through the same system. Absolutely it is. I mean, if you're holding timberland, uh, land in general, you know, land is going to be considered investment. And so it will, it should qualify for the 1031. What's the day rule on that to be considered investment? How many days can you be on the property? Um, I mean, it's land. So, you know, as long as you don't have a personal residence or anything on there, if it's just land sitting there. If it's land and you're four-wheeling right. or you're hunting. Those that's, don't that's matter. That's perfectly fine. But what yeah. about in the renters and vacation homes? How What can they be? So let's look at it two ways. So, again, personal use is limited to 14 days okay. or 10% of the time in which they've rented the property. So it could be more if that 10% of the time... If you only rent it for six 14. months and it's 10, so that's six days, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, so if... Um, so the second part of that is really, okay, Matt, how long can I hold a piece of property and it qualify for investment? So that's really the question. And you'll hear a lot of people say, well, you need to hold the property for at least two years. Okay. And that's a good rule of thumb. But all the IRS is concerned about is... Can you prove to us that you've held it for investment purposes? And you might be able to do that in less than... That's the base question, absolutely. And you might be able to do that in less than two years. You might not be able to do that in two years. So it really goes back to your intent for buying it, your use after you bought it, and making sure that you have held it for either that business use or investment purpose. And again, I know that seems so basic, but it's an important rule. Um, I'll give you a good example. You have a client who um, just bought a piece of land, and they bought it for $100,000. Out of the blue, a month later, they get an offer for $300,000 for that piece of land. Well, is that was that held for investment? Well, that was their intent from day one, right? I'm going to hold this piece of property for investment. I didn't market it. I didn't talk with my realtor agent about selling it. I didn't talk to my CPA. Yeah, it could have been the next one. could have been anybody. And so would that possibly qualify for a 1031? Yeah. If they truly was holding it for investment and they got an off-market deal, absolutely they could. So that's why I say the two-year hold period is a, a rule of thumb and not, not the law. That makes sense? It does. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. How many 1031s can you do in a calendar year? Well, let's look at it over a lifetime. Um, you could continue to do 1031s your entire life. Okay, you could continue to roll that tax over again and again and again. Or I could simply sell one property, do an exchange, buy my replacement property, and I could hold that until my death. Okay, so this can be a tax planning tool. Being that you sell a piece of property, you defer that tax, continue to defer it your entire life, you pass, everything goes into the estate, and if the same estate rules are in place later as they sure, are now, they change too. yeah, they certainly do change, um, then the heirs will get a step up in basis, and all of that tax that was deferred basically goes away. What? Yeah. So wow. it's, a, it's a great Poor tool for... Yeah. No I wonder know, the right? government doesn't like it. Right. <laughs> so it's a, it's a great tool to look at for uh, estate planning, uh, how to pass property along to your, your family, your kids. Um, again, with the guidance of a CPA and an accountant, a real estate attorney kind of helping you through that process, uh, it's a great way to permanently defer those taxes. As a rule of thumb, do most of these or all of these CPAs, or I'm not talking about someone that does your taxes for you, right? Uh, you know, robo-tax or whatever right. it is, okay? <laughs> but, I mean, a true CPA, do in this part of their education, their requirements to know these laws? Or? Certainly. I mean, that they they may I mean, uh, be to, familiar right? with the 1031, uh, but as, as many people know, um, not every CPA is real estate focused. Right. And there are those CPAs, CPAs out there who really focus in on real estate. So just as anybody would do with a realtor, with a QI, with anybody, you want to make sure 
to, you know, basically interview your advisor. You want to make sure that they do understand 1031s um, and that you're choosing the, the right advisor to work with you if this is a part of your real estate holding strategy. What about a certified financial planner? Uh, CFP is fantastic. Absolutely. Are they aware? Can they do? Or do you have... Are they qualified as a QI? Uh, I mean, if they have been an agent of that taxpayer, then no. Um, you know, they, they could certainly serve if they were not. And, and here's kind of the rule. It's, it's really a buyer beware. So let's just give this example. I'm selling a piece of qualified property for a 1031, and Lou, I call you. And I say, Lou, I want you to be my QI. And you say, okay, Matt, that's fine. Or I'm just walking down Main Street, Pilot Mountain, and I pass X person. I could ask them, will you serve as my qualified intermediary? And they could say yes. They could serve. But they might not have the agreement that they need to make sure that it qualifies. I don't know if they're going to hold my money and run off with it somewhere. Okay? So it's buyer beware. Um, you want to make the third sure party is holding the money. They they are they have holding a fiduciary the money. Responsibility. That's exactly and right. This is not interest bearing money. It can be interest bearing money. Yeah, those accounts that those uh, ten thirty one proceeds, um, well, they're held because it's a large amount. It could be a large amount. Uh, those accounts that the qualified intermediary decides to invest in could be income producing, and some QIs pay a portion of that interest back to the taxpayer. Uh, some do not. It all depends on their kind of strategy of how they work with the taxpayer. Um, but overall, the t I'll give you a good example. There was a qualified intermediary that went bankrupt. And they were not able to get the funds needed for those clients who were closing on real estate. And so not only did the taxpayer lose the money from the bankruptcy of the qualified intermediary, they lost the deferment. They lost the deferment. And they had to pay tax on the money that they lost because that was Ooh, their money. Wonder where that guy is now. Wow. Hmm? Wonder where that guy is now. I don't know where he is, but I'm I'm sure he's hiding. So you know it does happen, and that's why you need to make sure that you're working with a qualified intermediary that has a good history. Like Bankers Exchange. Like Bankers Exchange. Bankers1031.com. That's right. In Check business that since out. since 1992, the first qualified intermediary in South Carolina. So we've been at it since 1992, and that's important. The first important. one in South Carolina yeah. after 100 years or less? For, well, since really the industry got started in the um, around 1990, give or take, okay. uh, when the IRS came out and said, hey, listen, you need a qualified intermediary to step in and, and handle these 1031. So that's really when this kind of industry gotcha. blossomed. So they tweaked it. Yeah, absolutely. So Which that's is been smart great. because now they know that they've got somebody they can hang a nail on too. That's exactly right. Interesting. Your turn. I was listening. <laughs> Were you learning anything? I'm learning. Really? Yes. Yes. Is your little wheels turning? Or you starting to identify people I'm now, I'm clients turning. that you have, and maybe people you haven't contacted in a while that you could go to and say, Bob, guess what I just learned? Look at me. Yeah, look at me. I think I so, need to mull it over. <laughs> I need to sleep on it yeah. and let it. Resonate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, put, put the script under your pillow tonight. Yes. Osmosis. Osmosis learning. It's the it. best way. That is the best way. I, I love, love it. it. So let's talk about time frames real quick. That's something we yeah, really haven't mentioned. Because that's, um, that's the whole mechanism. That's what makes it work or not work. That's exactly drop right. Drop dead dates. I mean, these are. To these the are, I mean, to the second. That's right. right. These dates are, are critical to an understanding of a 1031. And. You know, as the realtor agent working with his client, you understand you the pressures. That's right. You understand the pressures hey, that they're under. Did you do under. this? Did you do that? Yep. Yeah. So again, from the time that because you want to get paid too. From the time that the client sells the property, closes on that property they're selling, that's when the two time clocks begin to tick. So I think we mentioned the earlier one. Right. So there's a 45 day identification period. That's A. That's A. And then there's a 180 day exchange period. That's okay, me. and that starts again from the time that they sold the piece of property. They have 180 days. I'm gonna get a little technical here, or until their tax filing due date, whichever uh -oh. one is less, to actually close on any of the replacement so property. So calendar for the year is that a calendar year or is that a business calendar year? It, well, it all depends on when the taxpayer files. So let's just say they file their taxes in April. If you sell a piece of property and you begin a 1031 exchange after October 15th, 
then all of a sudden you begin to cut into your 180 day right. time clock. Right. So if I'm selling in December, I've got way less than 180 days to complete my exchange before I file my taxes in April because the sale of the property, the year that the property is sold, that's the year you have to report the 1031. So the workaround is either A, you close on property before you file in April, or you file for an extension. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Extension, yeah. Yeah, everybody loves an extension. So you get to file your extension, and then you can uh, get your full 180 days. But there are three different types of exchanges. There are some different exchanges, and the most popular and the one that we deal with mostly is the... 90% of the time? Yeah. yeah uh, a little less, maybe. Uh, probably <clears throat> 75% of the time okay. is is the Ford exchange, which is exactly what we're talking about. I sell a piece of property, work with a QI, and then we go out and buy a property. That's right. Up um, to three properties. Up to three properties. So there's, there's three different rules that kind of garner... Um, the identification. So the first and most used is the three property rule. I can identify one, two, or three properties, and the IRS doesn't care the values of those properties for identification purposes, but I can identify one, two, or three. Now, uh, I could really only want to close on one, right? And this is, again, where the agent and, and the realtor, they're working with their client. Okay, you want to buy property A, we're going to identify it. What happens if property A falls through for the million reasons that it could possibly fall through, right? So let's make sure you have two backups. So I'm going to work with that client. That's kind of hard because it may be a unique property that's perfect for the transfer, and the other two are going to cost you a whole lot more to bring it up to what that one already has. It certainly could be, but it's certainly certainly something that, you know, if I was an agent working with a client and I knew they were doing a 1031, I'm going to work really hard to make sure that they have the property they want to buy, and then a couple of backups to make sure, just in case that one falls through, they have other properties that they can. But I can't identify more than three. You actually can. So the three property rule is just one rule. So the second rule is the 200% rule. So the 200% rule says I can identify any number of properties as long as the fair market value of the property that that I sold is not our the properties that I identified the fair market values of all those properties I identified are not more than two hundred percent of the fair market value of the property I sold. So, if I sold for a million dollars, I can identify any number of properties as long as their combined fair market value was not over two million dollars. Okay. Did you lose hmm. that one? Think about it. I'm, well, I'm processing, but I think, I think I got it. Well, that's the reason I was asking. I was you could see my eye. thinking yeah. face. Yeah, I, I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Again, so it's just, it, it really allows somebody, if they're selling a, a large property and they're looking at getting into single family rentals and they want to go out and buy 10 of them, as long as those 10 properties are not more than 200% of the property that they sold, they can identify them and that can work in the 1031. So it's really helpful. The third rule, and probably the least used rule, as far as what I've seen over the two decades, is the 95% rule, which says you can identify any number of properties, doesn't matter, as long as you close on 95% of the fair market values of those properties. Hmm. The reason that's an issue sometimes is if I've identified 10 properties, and one of those, I'm using the 95% rule, and one of those happens to fall through, there's no way I can close on 95% of the value. And so you it's, can't, once you've identified it, you've identified it. The cards are on the table, right? Once you've hit midnight of the 45th day, that identification is So you get to play for 45 days. Absolutely, yeah. I can, I can edit, amend that identification in those 45 days. So if I happen to have a property that drops out before the 45th day, I can add another one in. That's no problem. Stop. I don't want to do this because the one I wanted is the only one I wanted. I had the backups. I don't want to do this. What does yes. it cost me? Okay. All depends on when you decide to stop. I'm in the 45 days. I'm okay. T- t- tomorrow at mm-hmm. 12 o'clock is my 45 days, but I call Matt. Yes. Right now I'm talking to Matt. Uh-huh. Stop. Okay? Yes. You say, well, you've got another 12 hours. Right. Blah, Don't blah, you want to think blah. about it? Yeah. <laughs> and that's really, you know, there are, so in that exchange agreement, there are limitations. It's called the G6 limitations or G6 rule. And there's limits on when that taxpayer can receive money, right? Because the whole thing we're trying to avoid is constructive receipt. We don't want that taxpayer That's to have control of the money. That's, That's right. That's the bad stuff. So if they're in their 45th day 
And like you said, Lou, day 44, everything's falling through and they don't want to identify anything and they don't want to go forward. If they have an identification on record, they want to get with that qualified intermediary and make sure that that identification is canceled. They want a copy of that, right? That's right. I, I, I want to take away my, t my identification. I want to do away with it or simply not identify anything. Until the 45th, right. 44th you're, day. If, you're, if you go through that 45-day period with nothing on record for identification, on day 46, your exchange is over with, and that money will be sent back to and you. And you better watch the calendar because it may fall on a Sunday and you're in a marriage. Where's my... That's exactly right. Yeah, you want to make sure... And, and just and, because I send you or leave you a message or send you a text or an email, which is proof and timestamp, mm -hmm. Does that qualify yeah. if I can't get hold of you? Yeah, if you can't get a hold of us, we're going to make sure that it's time, date stamped of when we received it. But one great thing, and certainly with, with Banker Exchange, we're going to be talking with that taxpayer, with that client of ours, and we're going to be reminding them and reminding you them and reminding days. them. And, reminding them. <laughs> and we're going to, they're going to pick up Abby. the phone, and eventually they're going to say, Abby. are you calling to remind me of my 45th day? And we're going to say, you're exactly right. So we want to make sure they know when it's falling so they can have that identification in. If it's falling on a holiday or a weekend, you know, we're going to work through that and make sure that they have the appropriate amount of time to identify and that we can confirm it. Okay. So I want to go ahead and buy this building because I know it's exactly what I want and I know it's on the market, and I don't want competition. Mm -hmm. I want it now. Yeah. Now is the key word. Everybody now. wants it now. I want it now. So You yeah. ever say that, Abby? No, never. never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but your two rugrats do. All the time. So, and it's a great scenario. Look, listen, these, these past two years that we have experienced in real estate has been absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, properties have gone on the market and sold immediately. She They've had 50 offers on the property. I mean, it's it's been uh, really something to see. But the there is a, a, an exchange. It's called the reverse exchange. So the question is, Matt, you're exactly right, Lou. I've got property B, and I want to buy property B right now, either because it's on the market and it's available, or I know that by the time I sell mine, this property may not be on the market because it's a competitive or it may be time. More. Exactly. Yeah. So I can go. So the question is, Matt, well, if I go buy something, uh, can I sell my property later and then use that money to pay it off? Or can I get some type of deferral? And the IRS does not allow you to use 1031 money to make improvements to property that you already own or pay off debt on property that you already own. So how does it work with the reverse? Well, this is how it works. You would work with a qualified intermediary like Banker Exchange and we would form an exchange accommodation title holder that we would be the EAT, EAT for short. And basically, we're going to form a um, special purpose entity, like a, um, an LLC, single member, single asset LLC. Abby and Lou LLC. There you go. And we're going to go buy. We're going to, we're going to take us. <laughs> no, it's Lou and Abby LLC. Lou and Abby. No, I want to be first. <laughs> Let's go. At least go alphabetical. <laughs> yeah. At least alphabetical. You got to do that. Um, or doesn't L come before A? All depends. Only in your alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one that counts. That's right. So we look at, um, so if you can't take possession of that property and use 1031 money toward it, so who can come in and buy it? So we form the EAT, we form the LLC, we go out, take assignment of your purchase contract, and we go out and buy property B for you. Is it closed? Yeah, I mean, we well, go out, got, we go out and buy it, right? But that that LLC that we formed, it has no money. Right. So you, as the taxpayer, are going to have to fund that LLC, the money necessary to close on that property. Now, you do it one of two ways. When Either, you say close, that purchase price and closing costs, or is that just closing costs? That's purchase price and closing everything. costs. Everything. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we would need the money from the client. Either that comes in the form of, okay, Lou, you have enough cash in the bank. And you basically lend Stole money to the LLC. I'm going to tell everybody. I know you've got <laughs> the money in the bank, Lou. So you go out, you loan the money to the LLC, and that LLC takes the money and goes out and buys property B for you. Or you work with a bank, and they provide you some type of, in, you know, interim bridge financing. It's given to the LLC. The LLC goes by, buys property B. Okay, so 
Property B is purchased for you. We now own it. You now own it. LLC owns it. And we can hold that piece of property. Basically, we're like we're like a parking garage, right? We've parked that piece of property in the garage for you, and we can park it in that garage for 180 days. That's it. On day 181, you're going to get that property. That LLC is going to be transferred over to you. So, oh, I've bought it, but it hadn't been transferred to my LLC. That's right. LLC. That's exactly right. The one right. Abby doesn't know about. That the one that Abby doesn't know about. It mm-hmm. hasn't been transferred mm-hmm. there. So hmm. that 180 days, that gives you the ability to sell property A, because that's the property you own. You sell property A, and with the money that from the sales proceeds, basically you're going to pay off either the interim financing or you're going to keep it because it's going to pay off the note that we received from you because we borrowed the money from you personally. Right. And you're going to, we're going to transfer that LLC over to you as a replacement property. And when you do that forward exchange, right, you, you have two pieces. You have the reverse exchange where we own the property and it's parked in the garage. Or, you know, there's, there's property no, uh, exchange number two. You're, you're doing a forward exchange. You're selling property A. And property B is going to be one of the properties that you identify in the exchange. So it can happen. It's more complicated. It's more, more costly. Risky. It is more risky because hopefully you what sell if you that can't property. Sell your building in 180 days. You're going to have another piece of property on day 181. Yeah. So yeah. that that all needs to be taken into account. But all that to say, Lou, it's possible. So if you have to go out and buy a piece of property before you can sell yours, we can we can do it. Sure. Um, but on the realtor agent side, uh, I also want to work with that potential seller, right, before we have to go in as the eat and buy it to say, would you accept some, an additional earnest money deposit? Would you be willing to accept a higher price if you could extend out the closing so that I could get mine sold first? So those are things that you want to do on the front end to make sure you don't have to do the reverse, but if you do, it's available. You got all that, Abby? I've got it. You know about 1031. I've, uh, yeah, I've got to sleep on better? it. Yeah, I need to sleep on it. But I mean, don't you feel better now? I will tomorrow. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why tomorrow? Why when I now? wake up. No, I got to reson- I got to resonate it. I got to think about it. Mull it over. It's a lot. It's I'm a lot. You, it really is. I mean, for such a small piece of tax code, there's so much that can go on. And I'll just take it back to land, Lou, like we were talking so about earlier with land, Abby. Yeah. You can have a simple land transaction or you can have a very complicated land transaction. That's exactly right. And it's the same with 1031s. You can have a very simple 1031, or you can have a 1031 that has a lot of moving parts uh, that we need to talk about. So that's why, Lou, a good agent who understands property, who understands investment property, who understands land. And understands that they just need to call Matt. And That's right. You call me. <laughs> we'll walk through it. <laughs> we'll walk Matt, how to get in touch with you? You've been a great guest today. So they can certainly go to our website, Lou, which you mentioned, www.bankers1031.com. You can email me. Listen, matt.linville at bankers1031.com. Linville is spelled? L-I-N-V-I-L-L-E. And I will also give you my cell phone. And this is the reason I'm going to do this. This is my business cell. You can call me, text me with your 1031 questions at 336-813-4157. So if you have your phone out, 336-813-4157, call me, text me. We can walk through your 1031 scenario, and I'd love to be of help. Fantastic. Great show. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. All questions and comments are welcome. This show is for the public and most importantly for real estate agents who do not have a source for land education. All of our shows may be found on our master website, www.letstalkland.net, that's .net, Spotify, and Podbean. Abby, how do they get in touch with you? I am on gowithabby.com or abby at mylandpro. You got a phone number? Not on here, I don't know. Oh, oh. you don't want anybody to know, huh? No, You're it's gonna have secret. to call me. <laughs> They can call you. What's Abby's number? <laughs> I'll give it to Teresa. My email is lou at mylampro.com or call me at 336-669-1405. Our company website is 
www.mylandpro.com. Who's your land pro? Mylandpro.com. And we do more than just land. We'd like to thank our sponsors, landhub.com. Buying or selling land or farms, Landhub is the place to be. And also, acre value, if you want to know who owns that field down the road or what it sold for last year, the best place to research land, and it's all free, acre.com. Ronnie, how do they get in touch with us here? Well, Lou, they can go to our website. Go to WKTE1090.com, and also they can download the simple radio app. And what kind of music do we play, Abby? Christmas music this week. Oh, that's not what I was supposed to say. Well, that's happy music. Yeah, it's happy music. Christmas music makes you happy. Yeah, yeah. makes everybody right. happy. Well, they play it's happy music. Jolly spirit. Yeah. <laughs> well, we play, play beach and oldies. Yeah? And where do you go to that site if you live in Australia? Go to Simple Radio App. What about the moon? The moon also. Mars? Yeah. Simple? Simple. How simple is it? Pretty simple. No way. Even Abby could do it. What? Woo. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I want to see this. And we've won some nice awards, right? Yeah. Eight years in a row being the top beach and oldies radio LA. station on the East Coast. Is that like Mississippi from Canada yeah, this to side Key of West? Mississippi. Don't hear it out in the islands or anything? Oh, yeah, they do with the simple radio app. Well, true so anywhere in the world. They haven't got any awards for that uh, yet. Okay. Maybe next year. And you won a nice award. Yeah, the Reader's Choice Announcer of the Year Award. I wonder why. Yeah. He's got the voice for it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> hey, we enjoyed having you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.